All right, well, turn, please turn back in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. And as you are turning there, uh, let's just jump right into the idea of memberships. Membership or memberships. And when we think of a membership, we might think of a few different things. First, how about a membership at Sam's Club? How many Sam's Club members do we have here? Ooh, all right. <laughs> Maybe a place like Planet Fitness. Any any PFers here? Planet Fitness members? And not so many. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> what does a membership at Sam's imply? Well, you get entry into the store. Uh, you might qualify for a Sam's Club credit card. Ooh, uh, you you can have the use of the best pharmacy in town. If Ralph were here, he'd be amen in that. Uh, you might even use membership to purchase a vehicle or to book a vacation, among many other things. And if I say any more, I'll have to ask for a cut for all these new Sam's Club memberships that'll happen today. Uh, what about Planet Fitness? What does a membership at Planet Fitness get you? Well, again, entrance into the gym. Uh, one of the things that Planet Fitness, or PF, is known for is toning down the people who like to grunt and throw their weights, and just intimidate people. Uh, don't set off the lunk alarm. You ever heard of that before? I think there's actually an alarm that goes off in the Planet Fitness if you start, you know, beating your chest and being a, a big manly man, okay? Uh, they want regular people like you and me to feel comfortable in the gym. If you get their black card, ooh, you also get access to the tanning beds, and the massage chairs, among many other things. In both of these memberships, and in these kinds of memberships, there is a customer who signs up and pays up in order to get special privileges, access to things that others cannot have until they too become a member. That's the idea. Uh, now, what about our physical bodies? What about our physical bodies? What does it mean to be a member of a physical body? Well, now we're talking about things like arms and legs, eyes and ears, our heart, lungs, different parts of our bodies. So question, and these are crazy questions, but how much did your pinky finger have to pay to become a member of your body? Is there a monthly rate for that? A one-time fee? What should your pinky expect to receive from the rest of your hand and from the rest of your body in exchange for that fee? What kinds of things could go wrong that might make your pinky want to end the agreement and leave the membership? Uh, maybe if you buy a nice ring and put it on your ring finger, maybe even on your wedding day as that ring finger gets uh, the ring on it, will your pinky decide to take its membership elsewhere because it didn't get equal treatment? Or how about this? What kinds of questions did your eyes ask while they were looking things over, looking around prior to joining the club? Did your neck muscles have to promise to move up and down and left and right to give the eyes a better view before they jumped in? These are ridiculous questions, right? Who put your eyes in your head and gave them the ability they have? Who ordained that we would have four fingers and a blessed opposable thumb on each hand? Who put the ribs around your heart and lungs and other things to keep them safe? Well, God did, right? God did, that's who. God designed, purposed, 
orchestrated and executed the plan that is your body. God did that. And God designed, purposed, orchestrated, and executed and is executing the plan that is the church as well. Church, you are members of a body. Members chosen, designed, equipped, gifted, and given to work together. A diversity of gifts working in unity toward the goal with Christ as our head. Who's the brains of this operation? Jesus Christ is the brains of this operation, and he is our goal. This isn't a club. Your offerings are not membership fees. Our worship services are not services rendered to paying members. We do not have tires for you to kick before you sign on. Uh, And other churches in town, other churches in town are not the Costco to our Sam's Club. They are not the Maury Courts to our Planet Fitness. Online preachers are not the Amazon to our Walmart. This also isn't a corporation. This is not a business. Sometimes what we see in churches, uh, when things might get flat or they feel like they're stale, when not much seems to be happening, we can think, hey, hey, I got an idea. Let's, this will be a shot in the arm. Let's, let's hire in a youth pastor. Let's, let's hire in a college pastor, something like that. And don't get me wrong, those are wonderful positions. Those are wonderful things. They can be a great addition to a church. They might be a great addition to our church someday. But what we can tend toward is this idea of, uh, since nothing seems to be happening, we need to add some hired help. And when that new associate pastor comes in and they start to recruit and to train people, you know, leading and equipping people for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4, some of the people go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's what we hired you to do. And before long, there's a model where the deacons are an executive board. And they're not necessarily servants as much as they are yes or no people. And the senior pastor becomes like a CEO. Uh, Most, if not all, the people who are serving are paid staff. And the members of the church then are treated like customers. Sam's Club. But church, uh, the answer to inactivity in the church, if that's ever to be happening, is not to hire out good help. The answer is repentance. So that every member is doing their part. Every member serving one another. Uh, We aren't a club. Uh, We are not a corporation or a business. What we are is a body. An organism that is ruled and led by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is organized and arranged by the sovereign will of God to bring different people together uh, with different Holy Spirit given gifts in order to accomplish the great commission. We say it this way for our mission, making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. Which means, and I realize I'm getting ahead of myself here, uh, but that means that the right questions to ask about a church before you join in the mission is not, what do I like about this church? Or how is this church a good fit for my style and my tastes? 
But instead, the question needs to be, how can I serve the Lord together with these people to reach the lost and make disciples? Because all of us need to be about that in one way or another. How will I be encouraged to grow? And how can I be used to reach others and help others grow? Instead of church just feeling nice, we are left with the impression that God can use us together to accomplish great things for his glory. And as we grow in Christ's likeness, what will seem nice to us is being used together for God's glory to bring about the Great Commission. We don't want to have the attitude of looking for the church that's good enough for us. Well, if I'd ever find a church that's good enough, I'd I'd join. Remember, when we get to heaven, what we want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's look to God's word as we desire to hear from him this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And realize what Paul's done here. In saying, so it is with Christ, he has equated Christ with the body, the church. When we read that verse, we might think at the end of the sentence it should be, and so it is with the church, but he doesn't say that. So it is with Christ. We are united to him. We are the body of Christ We are the hands and feet of Jesus. Christ is the head of the body. We are united to him. And when the world sees us working together, who do they see? They are to see Jesus Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized. Not some of us, not hopefully all of us one day. In one spirit we were all baptized, immersed, placed into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all, not some, not maybe all in the future, all were made to drink of one spirit. Remember the issue that the Corinthians had with the social classes in chapter 11? Remember that? Uh, Remember the struggles with Jews and Gentiles in the early church, the clean and the unclean? Praise God. God the Father is not a respecter of persons. Uh, The Holy Spirit indwells, gifts, and places all of us at salvation into the body of Christ. So just from this passage today, if there is something we would want to call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what would it be? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It would be that moment when the Holy Spirit of God moves in us to bring us to life, to open our blind eyes, to bring us to repentance, to indwell us, and to place us in the body of Christ So this isn't so much the Holy Spirit taking over and being all around us like we got baptized into the Spirit as much as it is the Spirit indwelling us and placing us in the body of Christ. And when did that baptism happen? The moment you were saved. The moment you were saved. And what is the sign of this new birth? That being said, what happens to a person who's born again? 
who has heard the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, believed in Christ's sacrifice for our sin, turned to Christ alone for salvation, what is that amazing, miraculous thing that happens to that person? They change. A dead person, lost in their trespasses and sins, becoming an alive person following after Christ. That's a miracle. Far more to be valued than any flashy thing that we might desire. They become a new creation in Christ. The old passes away. Behold, the new comes. The old man is put off. The new man is put on. We change. We grow. We become more like the Christ whom we have been placed within. And the outworking of that, all of us individual members become members one of another together as the body of Christ. Verse 14, uh, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If, if you see an ear laying on the ground, you don't say, oh, look, there's John. You probably say, gross, someone's ear is laying on the ground. Who left their ear behind on the ground? They should probably pick it up and get it checked out. Now, in these next verses, Paul continues with this illustration. He, he corrects two kinds of thinking. In verses 15 through 20, he answers the person who might think, I'm not important enough. I'm not needed. I don't need to be involved. Paul corrects that thinking. And in verses 21 through 25, he answers the person who might think, I'm super important. I don't need anyone else. Both viewpoints need correcting. And both are addressed in this passage. First, verse 15. If the foot should say, uh, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So very important here, just thinking about this even in our culture today. If I feel like something is true, that doesn't make it true. I can feel very strongly about something and be entirely wrong about it. Just because I don't think I belong doesn't mean I don't. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that would be weird, and where would be the sense of hearing? Wearing, wearing masks lately. If nothing else, it's reminded us of how much our eyes work together with our ears to hear what people are saying to us. And continuing in verse 17, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged. Who? God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And if God did that, who are we to say, whether we're in or not? If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Uh, you know, it'd be really strange, just continuing this illustration. What if at the Olympics next summer, let's pretend Usain Bolt hasn't retired because he has like the best sprinter's name ever, right? What if at the Olympics next summer, after the runners run the 100-meter dash, Usain Bolt wins... He's up on that podium, first place, second place, third place. And the announcer says, congratulations to the legs of Usain Bolt. I think his feet would have something to say about that. Uh, even his arms, which were pumping really hard, 
Can you imagine trying to win a race without arms? What if they fell asleep and they were just kind of dangling on your... You would not run as fast, would you? Uh, His eyes that kept him going straight, helping him to stay in his lane. What if his Achilles tendon gave out? Uh, Would anyone win the Olympics with an Achilles injury or a torn ACL? And you might not think about those things, but when they snap, you know they're there. (laughs) The whole body is needed to run toward that finish line. Every part matters to the whole. And we do often forget that until we feel pain in our bodies. And often, as we say, as we get older, pain in muscles we never knew we had before. And what does verse 18 say? God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Do you know, every individual, do you know why you are a part of this church? Because God has arranged it. Do you know why you have the gifts that you have? Because God has given them to you because we need them. We all have needs to work together to grow and to reach out to others. And we need you. God chose your gift on purpose and put you here for his glory and for our good. And when we're all running together, we feel his pleasure. And now, for those of us on the other end of the spectrum, those of, those of us who might feel like uh, when we come to church, we are gracing everyone with our presence, okay? Hopefully that's none of us, right? But if that's the case, verse 21 says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We might say this, what good is seeing if you can't use it to shake someone's hand? Or, or to go to meet the needs of others? And verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, and the word is, indispensable. Those that might seem to be weaker are indispensable. Where the eye might be prone to say, unless I can see how you're of any use to me, God says every part of the body is indispensable. There are no vestigial members of the body of Christ. A vestigial is a term that just means a part of our body that we don't need. Like people think wisdom teeth. Ah, Who needs a wisdom teeth? Uh, Your appendix. People have called that vestigial. Um, But we've learned that we need those. So appendixes, we need you. (laughs) And specifically, you help to keep our bodies healthy, our body healthy. We need you. Verse 23. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, not that are, but that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body. He did it this way on purpose, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So some of these verses sound a little strange, but what Paul's saying here is that Uh, Though the parts of the body that we don't cover, like our hands, our eyes, our mouth, our ears, they might get all the publicity, right? That's what everybody sees, since we don't cover those. It's actually the areas of our bodies that we cover 
that we clothe, that we adorn, that are treated with the highest regard, treating them with high regard, that are held as special, and that may be used in only the most sacred of activities. So, by the way, what a great passage to encourage modesty and purity. There are parts of our bodies that we are to regard too highly for too sacred a purpose to go share them with everyone, uh, to show them off, to use them for any other purpose than to do the God-given sacred things he has ordained them to be used for. He gave us our mouths and our eyes and our hands to serve many. But there are other parts that he gave us to serve one. They are to be held in honor. And that honor is evidenced by covering them up. What a great argument. So much better than, well, you'll just make them stumble if you don't. No, hold them in the highest of regard. Okay, to do anything else with them is to cheapen the gift. In the church now, in the church, the idea here is that some parts of the body will be out in the open and seen and heard by all. And some parts may be used in a more behind-the-scenes kind of a role. But that those roles are often given greater honor. And while we might not think that, okay, we might look at this and go, oh, pastor, he's up in front, he's the one preaching and teaching, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean that God holds me in the greatest honor. It doesn't mean that. Remember, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Blessed are the meek. Christ humbled himself and became a suffering servant. He wasn't a superstar on this earth. He was crucified. There are members of the body who might get most of the earthly credit and members of the body who might not get the praise in this life, but by God's design... And in reality, whether we realize it or not, all members are indispensable. So, quiz, how many of you are dispensable? Yeah, none of you. (laughs) Good job, you all aced it, all right? We are indispensable. Okay, and we must remember this, verse 25. We must remember this, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We must remember how indispensable each member is, how interconnected we are, how our diversity of gifts work together in unity so that we can make sure that pride or self-centered thinking don't get in the way and cause division when I start to think that I'm better than so-and-so, that my gifts are more important than so-and-so's gifts, or that my gifting is inconsequential, or I'm too shy, I don't want anybody to hear from me, division. That hurts, right? When one suffers, all suffer. When one is honored, all rejoice. And remember, Paul addresses both the ones who say they don't need anyone and those who think no one needs them. You can be the one who puts yourself out there or the one who acts too shyly to ever talk to anybody. And both of those things can be motivated by selfishness. Both of those things can be motivated by pride. And when one suffer, all suffer together. 
uh, when we put too much stress on one part of the body, uh, or when the foot falls asleep, the whole body feels it, doesn't it? And when our members are growing in strength, having victory over sin, and growing in Christ-likeness, when even one is doing that, we all benefit. We all win. When you grow individually, when you grow, we grow. When I grow, we grow. And when we're all growing, it makes us grow more. Wonderful system. God's great design. Verse 27. Now you, and remember who's Paul writing to? The church at Corinth. To a church. So we could say it like this. First Baptist Church of Mount Pleasant. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And this passage has some universal church aspects to it. And in this verse, Paul ties that back to its place of application. Where does the rubber meet the road? Where does this stuff take place? And that's in the local church. So First Baptist, and in this context, the church at Corinth, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church... First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. There's a list, right, in verse 28 and then verse 29 and 30, these questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? You say, well, why did Paul do this list and do this list? What's up with that? Let's look at it. Did you notice anything missing? Uh, the, the list in verse 28. Apostles. Those are the guys who Jesus personally chose to go take the gospel out to the world and get the church started. Uh, they saw some pretty amazing things. They did some pretty amazing things. And all to establish. They were sent on a mission by Christ himself to build the foundation, to be the foundation for the church. In Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, he says this uh, to the church at Ephesus. So then you, church, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles... And the prophets, which are next. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Once the foundation is laid, you start building a building, correct? That's how that works. Uh, The prophets, they get to speak in front of people and tell them what God said. And in the early church, as the foundation is being laid, uh, sometimes before the word of God was completed, before they had the finished scriptures, what God was saying right then. They were the ones who really could say, In the first century church, before the Bible is finished, they could really say that they had a word from the Lord. That they had heard from the Lord for somebody. And if somebody says that today to you, you tell them, no, you didn't. Be nice, right? But if somebody says, I have a word from the Lord for you, no. Now, we have a word from the Lord, but this is it. Okay? Be careful with that. But in the first century church, or somebody says they got a word from the Lord, you got to listen to someone who says that, right? And often today when people use that terminology, that's why they say it. How do you say no to somebody who says they have a word from the Lord for you? 
And then teachers. These people are called to explain, to help us learn the word of God. Remember, people in the church at Corinth loved learning. Uh, They loved rating their teachers. They, like, traded Paul and Apollos baseball cards and stuff. They loved learning. They loved the the idea of being so learned that they could be the teacher of other people and, and be the one who's the expert in the room. And then those other gifts, miracles and healing and tongues. Wow. Amazing. Do you see what's going on here with this list? Why Paul chose the things that he did? These are all potentially very glamorous offices, very glamorous gifts in the church in the eyes of the Corinthians. And in their desire to take for themselves and to get an audience to be the best in their own eyes, they would want to go after any and all of these gifts. And so Paul asked these questions. And in the Greek, uh, they are all answered with an emphatic no, not They're more statements than questions, really. So let's ask it this way. Are all apostles? And what's the answer? No. Even in the first century church, were all apostles? No. When the apostles were done apostling, guess what? Apostling was done. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? What's the answer? No. Uh, Was everyone even in the first century church, and even as we see it in the book of Acts and in the epistles, was every single person supposed to be healing? Was everyone supposed to be doing miracles? Was every single person supposed to speak in tongues? And the answer is no. Never in the history of the church was every single Christian supposed to do something like speaking in tongues. Never. No one member has all the gifts. And no one gift is had by all the members. Does that make sense? God has designed us to have a diversity of gifts. There is no Swiss Army knife person in the church. There just isn't. But now think about this. All those flashy gifts, all those glamorous gifts, the ones that the church is like, ooh, I'd love to have that one. That would really impress people. But there were two gifts that Paul didn't mention in verses 29 and 30 that he did in verse 28. He left them out. Why? Why? What were those two gifts? Helps and administration. Think about the flashy gift list and then add helps and administration. Guess guess which two out of all those the church at Corinth probably wasn't too fired up about having. Helps and administration. Helps meaning providing support, taking the load off of someone else and putting it on yourself. In Philippians 2, 25 through 30, Paul speaks of a man with a gift of helps named Epaphroditus. Uh, Verse 25 in Philippians 2, "I've, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier. Does Paul hold him in high regard? Yes. And your messenger, he's bringing the letter, and minister to my need. Epaphroditus says, Paul, let me help you with this to free you up to do more of that. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. More upset about the church worrying about him than he was about being sick. 
Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also. We need his gifts, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. And for them, for the gift of helps? Yeah. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Sounds like Epaphroditus was an amazing servant. An amazing blessing to these churches. And I have no idea what all he did. And we wouldn't have any idea that he existed if Paul hadn't said anything. Probably the way he would have liked it. Not a very glamorous gift in man's eyes, but indispensable to the church. Uh, The word for administration, it's the idea of steering the ship. Uh, Being at the wheel, keeping the ship on course, heading in the right direction toward the proper destination. And that means, as we talked about earlier, a person in leadership uh, like this would be the servant of all. Keeping everyone together, keeping everyone moving in one direction, the right direction, which means toward Christ. Toward Christ. So I find it very interesting that Paul inserts into this list of offices and gifts in the church in the midst of all these gifts that the church at Corinth found to be most intriguing, to be desired, to be played with, if it, if it, as it were, and shown off to impress others. Paul includes the gift of helps and the gift of administration or leadership. Can you imagine with the things that we've learned in this book, in this letter, can you imagine trying to steer the ship that was the church at Corinth. How were they treating their leaders? Who among them would sign up for that? Like those old old cartoons where there's a line and who wants to volunteer for this? And everybody but one person takes that big step back. I don't want to lead this. <laughs> they might have known I don't want to lead me. Very interesting. Does it make sense that not many people would have valued these two gifts at the time in this church? if this was the way they were viewing spiritual gifts. But then Paul says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. He gave this list. He he relisted all but two. And he says, desire the higher gifts. Do you think Paul is talking about the flashy, showy way the church was viewing the gifts? Or do you think Paul was reorienting their view on what higher means? He who will be first will be last. The last shall be first. What are the greater gifts? We should say gifts that allow us to serve people. Gifts that make us great servants. Uh, The less flash, the less notoriety, uh, the more others uh, are blessed and encouraged to grow and change without me getting the credit, the better. The better. And this chapter finishes up with a, a preview to what's to come next week in in chapter 13, which really chapter 13 is like the main point and the climax of the letter to the Corinthian church. He says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And that way is a contrast to the self-serving ways that Paul's been rebuking. That more excellent way is love. Love. 
So as we finish up today, I want to encourage you in a few things. Number one, if you are newer to our church, or if you've been attending for a while and, and have not joined the church, I want to encourage you to join. Um, I understand that some people have a different view on universal church and local church and the relationship there. I, I get that. But I hope as we have continued to go through this book, you see the relationship and the application of these commands as the Word of God is presenting them. And my hope and desire for all of you is to be counted among us as members and serving and thriving members. Everyone is indispensable. Um, Some of you may have a view of membership that's more like, well, the more you're involved, the more of a member you are. If you're here and serving, you should just be counted as a member. And if you're serving a lot, you should be, you know, more involved. And if you're not serving much, maybe not so much involved. But that methodology of membership has been used to hurt people in many places. Usually like in an elder rule kind of a situation. A church is deciding or elders, leaders deciding that they don't want someone in a certain place of ministry and basically squeezing them out. Uh, where eventually they're not very involved anymore, which therefore means that they seem like a little bit less of a member, which the hope is then, sadly, it's a little easier for everyone to realize they're not around anymore. So the people who want to have all rule have their way. Does that sound anything like what we just learned from this passage of Scripture today? The answer is no. That is not a biblical model. It sounds like a manipulative way for elders to lord their authority over people, which Peter said, don't you dare do that. And it's wrong, and it hurts people. Uh, Speaking of that, so if you were to ask, well, why do we have like an official membership? That's a fantastic reason right there. Now, speaking of being hurt, uh, some of you no doubt have hurts in your past. uh, Ways that a church, maybe even this church, has wronged you in the past And let me say this first, uh, to First Baptist Church, to our members. If there are wrongs we have done, is it possible that we've done wrong in the past? And I'm not asking this because I know specific things. I'm just saying, is it possible? If there are wrongs in our past that have not been resolved or reconciliation has not taken place, it really isn't okay for us just to fake peace because it happened a long time ago. If we need to repent and ask for forgiveness, if we need to make something right, then let's do it. Even if it happened 20 years ago. Even if it happened 40 years ago. If there's something that we know and God brings it to our heart and there's conviction there, let's get after it and make it right. Let's make it right. If there are hurts and unresolved sinful conflicts that continue to eat away at you, if you are the one maybe who's been hurt, that seems to be preventing you from moving forward in your service, from moving forward in your relationships, kind of like if I don't get too close, I won't get hurt again. Please know that we want to help. We want to pray with you. Let's pray for anyone who is struggling or hurting in this way. And let's lovingly seek to see those issues truly resolved, not faking peace, but making peace wherever possible wherever possible. And and the reality is this, right? When there are two parties involved, you need two parties to agree to make something right. But But if one knows before God that they strove to make it right 
extended an offer of forgiveness or asked for forgiveness, you know before the Lord and you can have peace knowing that you were trying to do what was right and trying to love that other person, whichever side of the issue you're on. Let's, let's try to get things resolved. And then um, some of us haven't joined <laughs> or, or aren't serving because we haven't had a, a, maybe a right view of what the church is, what it's for, its purpose, its calling. And because of that, you just, you've kind of been floating around. Floating. Coming to church, uh, going about your life, not doing anything particularly bad, uh, being a good citizen, being a church attender, all that. But not really getting engaged. Not growing uh, connected with the people of our church. Not serving others. If that's you, let me encourage you to step up your game. Uh, The church is not a spectator sport. Uh, It is not a club. We are definitely not a theatrical event. This is a body. We need you. And you need us. And every one of us could say those things. So let's, let's get with it. Uh, we'll have a membership class here in the fall, Lord willing. If you're not a member yet, I hope to see you there. Church, just in closing, isn't God so kind that he would call people like us and redeem us, forgive us, justify us, adopt us, that he would promise us growth, promise us sanctification, that he would promise us eternal life, promise us reward for doing things that we do only because he was gracious to give us the ability to do them. He promises to give us peace and rest and eternal joy in fellowship with him. Jesus wins. All of the crazy that has been going on and is going on and will continue to be going on, right? Jesus wins. And all of that will be put down. And all will be made right and new. Isn't God so kind to include us in that plan? And isn't God good that he's given us in this time to each other? to push each other forward, to suffer together, to rejoice together, to teach one another, to support one another, to pray with one another, to love one another. Church, we are the body of Christ, and Christ is our head. So let's continue to grow, to become more and more like him by loving, by serving one another, and together on purpose, striving to make disciples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's do this. Let's get after this together uh, to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. God, please forgive us. Uh, we, we may often kind of have that model in our minds of uh, the rugged, rugged um, tough, individual, doesn't need nobody kind of a guy and and how he's the hero and how he's the cool guy. Uh, But Lord, you haven't made us that way. God, help us to see, uh, to embrace our need for one another 
And Lord, forgive us for any pride that would be in our hearts that would cause us to withhold ourselves from serving others. Lord, continue to unite our hearts to draw us together as a body. Not just to make us feel warm and fuzzy inside, but to get stuff done. To make an impact for your kingdom. To help each other to grow, to become more like Christ, to preach the gospel to the lost, to truly be a shining light in a dark world. That you would be glorified. And Lord, we thank you that in that we receive joy and delight in you. God, use us, help us, uh, sanctify us. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.